wisdom as he brings us your word this evening. We pray that we be attentive, ready to listen to it. Right. Okay. All right. Gonna. Let me slide this up here. Um, how's everybody? Everybody doing okay? Um, we have been going through the prophets of the Old Testament, and uh, if you've been here with us, we've been looking at some of the non-writing prophets. These are guys that didn't have a book named after them. And two of the biggest ones were Elijah and Elisha. And uh, we've been going through this because the prophets are so crucial to your understanding of the ultimate prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's three big offices in the Old Testament. Prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. And so these stories in the Old Testament give us so much background that when the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, Jesus, comes on the scene, we can fully understand Him. So the Old Testament is crucial. A lot of people just spend time in the New Testament. You need to do that. But uh, that's kind of like going to a movie and coming in three-quarters of it being over. Okay, When you get to the New Testament, literally it's three-quarters of the way of God's revelation to us. And so, that's why we at RUF, we like to look at the Old Testament too. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles, or you can look up here, if you can see behind me, we're going to read uh, 2 Kings chapter 5 tonight. And uh, this is a story about somebody with a big problem. Maybe you can relate. Hear God's Word. Naaman, a commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, and he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter. That was a, that was a lot of clothes. Uh, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make a lie that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and 
wave his hand over the place and cure the leper? Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. And then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and he stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. This ends a reading of God's holy word. I think most kids, uh, if you're like me growing up, we were fascinated with cartoons. Some of the big cartoons I used to watch were um, Speed Racer. Anybody watch Speed Racer? I mean, I watch Speed Racer is like the best cartoon. Racer X. Um, but there was also uh, interesting shows in the afternoon that had superheroes as real people. They were, and Superman was one of those shows. So not just a cartoon of Superman, but this really cheesy-looking Superman that kind of had a little bit of a pot belly. He was kind of barrel-chested, and he wore like a tight. He was the Superman of my growing up years, and uh, and so David Green back there, he can relate to this. Uh, but uh, you know, when the intro came on, you guys have heard this. You know, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leave tall buildings in a single bound. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. And uh, and with that, we were whisked away into the world of Clark Kent and Lois Lane and uh, and his saving the world and you know keeping the world from the bad guys like Lex Luthor and from injustice and overall having you know uh, doing good things. He was a good guy and uh, he had a very strong moral compass, but he had a problem. And I think we all know that his problem was kryptonite. Okay, I think green kryptonite. Okay, that's from the planet Krypton because he was from the planet Krypton. And so that was his weakness. If he was around that, he, he there's nothing he could do. Although he was Superman, there was nothing he could do. He, he couldn't gather his strength and ultimately uh, it, it would kill him. And, and the story today that we're looking at here is also about somewhat of a Superman. This commander-in-chief, this general of Syria, this guy Naaman, and he has a problem. He has a fatal flaw as well. But he has this disease, this leprosy, and uh, it is eating away his body and it is going to kill him, ultimately. And so as we think about this passage, um, I want you to think about your life because all of us have, all of us, if we're honest, have fatal flaws. All of us, um, we do lots of good things. We may be very talented, but there are deep within all of our lives deep uh, flaws. And, and the question that this passage is really a- answering and asking is, you know, what does it take to truly be healed? What does it take to truly be healed? And we're going to look at a few things about this. But one is true healing only comes to those who acknowledge they're broken. True healing only comes to those who acknowledge they're broken. And so, as you look at this passage here, um, you're confronted with Naaman, the general, and his greatness. It says in verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man 
with his master and in high favor. And he even says, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. Look at some of these adjectives. He was commander of the army of the king of Syria. And so here we have a general. He's the commander of chief. You know, this is Eisenhower. This is Patton if you're a World War II guy. This is, this is the main military man. He's the top of the armed forces. He's the greatest. He, he's a great man with his master. He had an ear with the king of Syria. Um, he was swinging with the king, so to speak. I mean, when he had this problem, he goes right to the king and the king does everything for him. The king helps him um, with this letter to go to Israel. The king helps him with uh, gathering all of this money. And this was a lot of money. If you uh, break this down, you might not know what 10 talents of silver is, but uh, that was about 750 pounds of silver. Not sure what silver goes for these days an ounce, but that's, that's a lot of money back in the day. Uh, how about the gold? Uh, 150 pounds of gold. Um, that's a lot of money. That was immediately given to this guy. So it talks a little bit about how the position of this man, he was in high favor because he'd been a military leader. He had, uh, he had been victorious. It, it calls him a man of valor. In fact, there's a movie out right now. I haven't seen it yet. Has anybody, you guys, any ROTC guys seen that? It's about the Navy SEALs, the man of valor. So this guy is a man of valor. What's that mean? Um, Webster says it's strength of mind or spirit that enables a person to encounter danger with firmness. Personal bravery. Another, another dictionary said boldness or determination in facing great danger, especially in battle. Heroic courage. In other words, when everybody else was caving into fear and everybody else was going home, he was the guy going forward into battle, not fearful and taking whatever the town or the the uh, the army on the other side for Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. He was victorious. He was strong. Nothing could touch him. He was a superman to some extent in that army. But he was a leper. He had a huge problem. And uh, you know, leprosy. You know, of course, was a horrible skin disease and still is. Um, on a lot of different aspects. It made you socially unacceptable. Uh, it was contagious. So you couldn't... You know, in the New Testament, there was leper colonies. They kind of stood outside and lived amongst themselves and their family would go out and deliver food to them because they couldn't be around anybody. It was contagious. So we have him here, maybe in the beginning stages. Uh, spiritually... It says in Leviticus that if a person was a leper, he had a skin disease, he was spiritually unclean. Um, ultimately, it was physically damaging and you would die. It would eat you away slowly, de deliberately. There was no cure for him. And so although on the one hand he was a great man, he had it all together, he was a leper. He was dying. Slowly. So this is his problem. <laughs> he can't figure it out. He can't do anything about it. None of his skills of war, none of his skills of being a soldier or general can figure this out. This is beyond him. And he knows it. And he knows he's in trouble. And he's beginning to look outside of his own resources. You see, that's the first thing about the good news of the Gospel that, that you have to understand. 
the first thing is you have to understand you've got a problem and you've got to understand that you, and you start looking outside of yourself for help. And so you might think about your life. Like, what are your problems? You know, this is talking about leprosy and I'm not talking about physical leprosy, but like if you think about your life spiritually, spiritual leprosy or the things inside of you that you can't control. You know, maybe there's some sort of an addiction to, to approval. Like you just have to be liked by everybody. You have to be seen. Um, maybe, maybe you're addicted to approval with your parents and that has you burdened. You're trying to live out their dreams for you instead of doing what God wants you to do. Your grades, your identity comes through your GPA, your identity comes through the clubs that you're in, your identity comes through um, your academic performance, all of those things. And maybe that is so oppressive to you that you can't not study and just be consumed by it and, and consumed with worry all the time. Um, maybe it's some sort of an escape addiction. Maybe that's something like gaming, computer gaming. There's a, there's a great documentary if you want to see. It's called Second Skin. You can probably find it on Netflix, okay? Instant download. It's very interesting, but it's about these guys that spent their whole day and night, all weekend for like, you know, 48 hours addicted to World of Warcraft or other kind of games. And they, they literally will pack all their food in a ice chest and sit it beside them, beside the computer, so that they don't have to get up. I mean, they are just glued to it. They sleep maybe an hour or two during the weekend and go back to work. There's nothing wrong with computer games, but is it addictive to where you, you your whole life is controlled by that? Maybe it's pornography. Huge addictions, huge access, like none before in our time and culture. So easy, click of the mouse, and also addictive. Alcohol. I mean, there are so many things. If you think about your life, what are those things? What, what's that kryptonite? What are, what are those things that give you maybe extreme insecurity? Do you see things in your life that are like a leprosy eating you away? Maybe it's body image. You know, every, every February over in ERC, I don't know if it's over there this, this year, but there's always a big thing about um, exercise bulimia or ex exercise anorexia. Body image. You're, if you find yourself working out three times a day and for this amount of hours, you may have this. You may need help. These are very real things. Very real things. Uh, where is that coming from? It's coming from deep inside of us. There's something wrong. Deep inside of us. And the Bible just simply calls that our sin, our fallenness, our brokenness. That we're not right. That we were created whole in the beginning, but since the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, we have been infected with this leprosy. Do you acknowledge that? So the first thing about this story is, just like just like Naaman, you've got to acknowledge that there's something wrong. Something deeply flawed in me. Because the Gospel and the good news of Jesus will make absolutely no sense to you unless you see, the first and foremost, that there is a big problem. And acknowledging your brokenness um, is the first thing. The Gospel is, first off, understanding we're far more deeply flawed than we can imagine. 
far more deeply flawed than we can imagine. The second thing is, is this. The true healing only comes through unsuspected sources. The true healing only comes through unsuspected sources. And so in this story, you have a very interesting thing here. Um, an interesting contrast between Naaman, this great man, this great man, and this little servant girl from Israel. Okay? And uh, in verse 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Okay? And so the most unsuspected character in this story becomes the one who has the good news to change the greatest man in the Syrian army. Do you see this contrast? Unsuspecting, a servant girl. And uh, she says to her, to, to her mistress, would that my Lord were with a prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. She's, she's this little girl from Israel, this defeated nation. She had been captured as a slave on a raid. Um, she has no clout socially, racially, economically. She's got nothing. But she does have somebody. She believes in the God of Israel. And she, and she has seen and heard Elisha the prophet. And she has seen and heard that he heals. And so with that, although she has no cultural status, no education, the wrong background, she gives the answer. And there's this real just... Gender, gender barrier here as well. Here she is a little girl, a little slave girl, working for Naaman's wife. And back in the day, you know, that was a very patriarchal uh, you know, culture. And uh, even in Jesus' time, you know, a woman's testimony was not given credit in a court of law. They could not testify in a court of law. This is 800 years before that. So think about that. But yet, she knows the answer and she says the answer. And what does Naaman do? Now, it's interesting. Naaman was desperate. And the story is very clear. He he hears this good news about uh, Elisha and the possibility of healing and he immediately, he immediately goes forward uh, to talk to his king about getting a letter and getting gifts together and going to the king of Israel to see if he can go and see Elisha. This is pretty powerful. This is the stuff of movies, okay? And so although she had no status, she becomes the hope for this uh, name and this general. And so he's got to bow down <laughs> to this little girl because he is hopeless. He's got no other, no other options except her message, her good news. You know, that's, that's really what the Gospel is all about, too. Um, it's about bowing down to your ideas, saying no to your pride, and saying, for once I'm going to listen to the good news. I'm go- for once I'm going to listen to somebody who's got some hope. And isn't that what Jesus was all about, too? Because when Jesus came, remember, He came as a baby. He came unsuspecting. He came as a servant. He came in poverty. He came and lived as a carpenter's son. Um, he, he was not from the religious establishment. He didn't go to their schools. He wasn't a Pharisee. Um, and all of a sudden, he is the one giving 
truth from God because he was the God man, but he was totally unsuspecting. They thought that when the Messiah was going to come, he was going to be a conquering king riding in on a white horse with a sword and, and killing all their enemies. Instead, it was Jesus in a baby. It was a baby in a manger. A man who walked with sinners and tax collectors and the desperate with lepers and healed them and told them the truth. And so people had to bow to his, uh, his unsuspecting nature. And this is really uh, what Isaiah is all about as well. As Isaiah talks about a suffering servant who came in humility. He came in weakness. He came and he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And yet, he was the one. Uh, he was he, he was the he was the the servant uh, in Second Corinthians. It says, "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so you might by his poverty become rich." In Philippians, it says, "Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very form of a a servant, being born in likeness of men. He humbled himself, became." Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you see, this is totally opposite of the way we would do it. This is one of the reasons why you should believe in the Gospel because nobody could write something like this. It's totally opposite of the way people think. We think about pride. We think about victory. We think about um, talent, education, all these things. This is what's going to do it. And Jesus comes with none of that. He comes in weakness and He comes with sorrow, and He comes in pain, and He comes as a servant. And so if you're to get healed spiritually, that means you have to listen to that servant, the Lord Jesus. If you're, if you're really to get healed from your leprosy, that means you have to listen to this servant. It might seem unsuspecting to you, uh, but He came as a servant to serve us. Um, and that breaks our pride. Because... Ultimately, our sin nature, our leprosy says, I can do it. I don't need a servant. I don't need somebody that can help me. I can do it. I can do it. That's why our good works are what we struggle with because we don't think we need a Savior. We don't think we need a servant. That's what the Gospel is. It's a servant. So that means we have to allow Him to serve us. We have to rest in Him. Rest in what He's done. We have to say... Everything about all our works over here, all of our medals, so to speak, that doesn't mean anything. That's not going to be our true healing. Our true healing is, is in the servant coming to die for us. And, that, and the last thing is this. He, healing, true healing comes from unsuspected solutions. So unsuspected uh, a servant and an unsuspected solution. What's the solution here in the story? Uh, Naaman, I want you to go down and wash in the Jordan River seven times and you will be clean. Now this seems ridiculous. Seems foolish to Naaman. Uh, he came all the way here. He came with all these gifts, all this money. And, uh, and it's, it's really humiliating because Elisha doesn't even come out of the door of his house. He stays inside and he sends his uh, servant out to tell the, this general, commander-in-chief, what to do. doesn't even come out to him face-to-face. So you can see it's a little bit insulting for a, for a general not to 
have somebody come out before him. It's insulting. He, he, he and he says this, you know, um, even this place, Israel, he doesn't like it. He's from Damascus, and they have much cleaner and finer rivers over there. Um, he says, you know, are not Abana and, and Farpar, the rivers of, of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? I mean, the Jordan is an ugly brown desert river. You know, I lived in Oklahoma for a while, and the rivers out there are pretty red and dirty, yucky looking. So, you know, compare that to something like uh, Washington State, you know, where it's very green and nice. The northern part of, you know, above Israel gets greener and more um, hilly and mountainous and prettier. And so he's like, hey, these rivers are much finer. This is a much nicer place. What am I doing down here by the Jordan River in this muddy, ugly river? This is insulting. But yet again, he doesn't have anywhere to turn. His servants say, you know, my father, it's a great word. The prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He actually said to you, wash and be clean. So he does it. He does it. He puts away his pride. And he goes down, he dips in that Jordan seven times according to the word of Elisha. And his flesh was restored. His flesh, like a little child, he was clean. And then he confesses faith. And I don't think I included that on here. But in the next verse it says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He was convinced. He was convinced that the Lord God of Israel was the true Lord. He believed. But it was foolishness to him at first. This solution of dipping in the Jordan River. It was foolishness. He just couldn't comprehend it. And to some extent, that is what the Gospel is. It's foolishness. It's foolishness to people of, of education. It's foolishness to people of uneducation. It's foolishness to the proud. It's foolishness because it's the cross of Christ. And, and Paul says this, for the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness, to those who are perishing. But, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For, for Jews demand a sign and Greeks or Gentiles seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's foolishness because it guts our pride. The cross just doesn't seem like it makes sense. The blood of someone is going to take away my sins. It's going to make me clean. That just doesn't sound... That just sounds weird. I mean, if you think about it, that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense unless you understand how sinful and how flawed you are and how guilty you are before a holy God. It doesn't make sense. But if you understand that God is holy and in His mindset it takes a sacrifice to die and to bleed in order for you uh, to be accepted, that's the only way you can understand it. So the cross and the blood of Jesus is all about His substitution for us because we were the ones that deserved the cross for our sin, for our fallenness, for our flaws, for our denial, for our addictions for all those things where we say we're going against God but Jesus is the one that instead steps into our place and pours out his blood 
for you and me and cleanses us from the inside out, cleanses us from the leprosy that we have. He's the one that that saves us. It's not it's not our uh, it's not our academic performance. It's not anything we can do. It's not being a churchgoer or witnessing or doing anything that we think these this these are the things that make you acceptable to God because there's nothing. It's simply it's simply laying all your pride aside and going down and dipping in the Jordan River. <laughs> it, it, it's it's just following what Jesus has said and saying, No, I, I do see that I've got a problem and I need you and I'm I'm gonna jump into your love, so to speak. I'm gonna fall into that river of your grace and bathe myself in, in your acceptance of me because of what Jesus has done. That's that's what heals us. That's what heals us. That love, that deep love of Jesus for us. I was going to end with another movie, uh, little movie uh, idea, and I might have this all wrong, but you know, one of my, one of my other favorite movies is Shrek, and um, you know that did win an Academy Award back in the day. Uh, but uh, you remember in Shrek we meet someone who has a flaw. Princess Fiona, okay, and uh, she is there, you know, tucked away in that castle, and she's sleeping. And you know, Shrek's the one who goes to try to rescue her because he can stay in the swamp if, if uh, I might have this wrong, but she can, if he rescues Princess Fiona for Lord Farquaad, she can stay, or he can stay in the swamp. And so, but you guys all know that as the movie develops, uh, there's a problem with Princess Fiona at night. When the when the sun goes down, she is actually an ogre, okay. But she doesn't want to let anybody know that. That's her secret flaw, so to speak. And so uh, as the movie goes on, though, old Shrek starts to be, you know get some feelings for Princess Fiona, and uh, they have a nice time walking, uh, I guess, back to Lord Farquaad's area. And uh, uh, at the end, um, you know, it, it's all found out, but. What does it is this kiss, and there's a phrase, love's true kiss becomes love's true form. Is that right? Love's true kiss. And so, uh, basically, as, as uh, Shrek and her kiss, and you know, it gets dark, well, she, she is okay with the fact that she's an ogre uh, because they have true love. And to some extent, as you think about your sin and your flaws, they can utterly defeat you if you don't have the Gospel. But if you have the Gospel, if you have the love of Jesus, He will accept you because of His death on the cross. He will accept you because of that and that will complete you. And one day, one day, all of that sin will be done away with when we go to be with Him or when He comes back. But if you don't have the Gospel, you will continue to, to live with that flaw and you will never be able to get rid of it. You will never be able to get with it. The kiss of Jesus, that is what cures us. The kiss, what He did for us on the cross, that's what cures us and makes us right. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for tonight. Thank You that we can uh, think about these stories. Uh, Elijah and Elisha and um, how you heal ultimately through Christ. Lord, would we have that healing tonight if we don't have it? Lord, um, if we are dealing with 
issues of sin, would we be honest with You? Lord, would we run to the cross and will we see that Jesus is enough, His blood's enough? And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and stand up. Just as Naaman was uh, cleansed by the waters of the Jordan River, this last song is about how we look forward.